Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here with Rachel Madel. How's it going, Rachel? It's going good, Chris. I'm really excited. We're going to dive into some more listener questions. This is the summer of listener questions that we like have had a long list of for a long time, and now we're finally answering them. Yes, awesome. Now, we should say that if a Patreon supporter uh, were to write us a question, we'd bump that up to the top of the list and we would we would answer that first. These are questions that have come in over the years. We put them all in a, in a giant Google Doc and we've been answering them one after the other. But if you're a Patreon supporter, you get your questions answered first. So how do you get to the Patreon, Rachel? What is that? You go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. Um, and it's our membership group where we have bonus content and video tutorials and all this really fun stuff. Um, and it's just a way to say, I love this podcast and I want to support it because we have a team of people working to bring this podcast to you, Chris and I included, but also other wonderful people. Um, and so we would love for you to join our Patreon and to support us. And you just go to the website, patreon.com backslash talking with tech. So should we read the question for today? Let's do it. All right, here it is. I translated some of the AAC agreements for the Spanish-speaking AAC community with a link to the podcast. For those that don't speak English, they could at least know what they are and know about better practices on AAC. Just wanted to say thanks for the great podcast you're doing and sharing with us. So not really a question, but so much that this person translated some of the AAC agreements or the AAC agreements in general. So let's give her a shout out here. The website is H-A-B-L-O-C-O-N-C-A-A.wordpress.com. And if you go there, you are taken to a website that has tons of resources on AAC that also can be translated from English into Spanish and Spanish into English. It's all about supporting the Spanish-speaking community, which I think is fantastic. I love this, Chris, and I think I mentioned a few times on the podcast that I was on a court case where I did an independent evaluation and the the student was Spanish speaking, and it's so interesting, like, when you're working with a bilingual student, um, you know, there's definitely a lot that has been done in the area of bilingualism and AAC, but we definitely have a long way to go. Um, There's just, you know, I was looking for lots of different supports with lots of different systems. And um, what I found is that not all the systems have really easy abilities to go between languages and code switch. So what's, and that's fascinating to me because we know that, you know, people who are bilingual, they code switch frequently. And um, especially our AAC learners, that's what I learned, you know, during this assessment, this really intensive assessment that I did. Um, you know, I was assessing the student in uh, both Spanish and English, and it just, it was very context dependent on what word, um, or sorry, what language uh, she was more proficient in. And so it just brings up like a lot of different layers of you know, considerations when, when you're working with bilingual students. So the website again is abloconcaa.wordpress.com. And like I said, there's tons of resources here that she has. And I believe the author is Nidia Carrillo. I think I'm saying that right? Nidia Carrillo. 
Nydia, thank you so much for sharing these resources. So here's something interesting, Rachel, is that when I go to this website, Google automatically pops up with Google Translate, and I can switch between Spanish and English. Um, so I just clicked on a button that says English, and now I'm at a start menu. Um, that takes me to the home page. And on her menu here, there's about and collaborators and contact. And I'm reading that in English, even though I think it's written in Spanish. You know, So I love the power of the technology. In fact, my wife uh, was just telling me today how she uses Google Translate to translate some of the materials that she shares uh, with families uh, that uh, might not be primarily English speaking. And this comes up for me when I do work abroad, of course. Um, and, and, you know, I've been to countries where their language is not common, um, or at least not in the AAC world. Um, you know, and so it's hard when you're traveling to a country and you don't have any high-tech options as far as AAC um, that support the, la the native language in that country. Um, one of the many reasons that I love CoughDrop is that CoughDrop actually integrates with Google Translate. And so if the language is on Google Translate, which like, I feel like almost every language is on Google Translate, um, then you're able to, you know, at least have a rough translation. You have to go through and make sure with a native speaker that like it was a good translation, um, but at least you're starting off with a lot more um, than you would have otherwise. And so um, I love using CoughDrop when I go abroad because it's just such a great tool that they have thought about that need, right? And also, you know, tried to solve that problem by just integrating with something that we all use, which is Google Translate. Good. Yes, absolutely. So another tool I like to use is Microsoft Translate. Microsoft Translate, uh, there's two different features of it or versions of it. One is the website where you go to Microsoft Translate, but then there's also a PowerPoint add-in that you can get. Uh, either way, what, what it allows you to do is sort of in real time see the translation as you're talking. So sort of like you'd see captions at the bottom of the screen, you can see the translation in the bottom of the screen. And it works in a way where you can use it on a phone. So essentially you could be sitting there and have the phone up and one person could be speaking in Spanish and it would auto-translate it into English on your phone so you could be reading along um, and then vice versa. Right, which is just amazing if you think about that. Yeah, that's literally mind blowing. I like because like remember when um, like I feel like years ago when I would travel abroad, I'd have my like big book that was like you know of course telling me like where to go when I was in that country, and then like the back would be like common phrases. So I'd be constantly like flipping through a book to try to like order a soda. <laughs> um, it's just crazy to think how technology has just evolved just in you know a reasonably short amount of time. Um, it's so cool that we now have the capacity capacity to, you know, do all these things. And we all have smartphones. We all have little like smartphones that we're walking around with um, that just can make communication in general with everyone a lot more accessible. Mm -hmm. I know we've been using those features a lot in uh, distance learning where you have students that are ELL learners and it's like, well, how do I do this instruction in a way that they can understand it when I'm speaking a different language than the one that they're primarily understanding? And so we've been showing different ELL teachers and foreign language teachers, well, this is how you can have the text displayed in another language so they can understand what you're saying. And it's um, it, it, in that regard, it really is like we're living in the future. You really got to think 
what is the future of language in general and foreign languages when a device can translate it for you? You know what I mean? It's not far off that it will be in your ear and you could hear it, you know? Yeah. And you brought up the virtual learning. And I have to tell you, I've been loving virtual learning for some of my students, especially with autism, because I feel like I'm just like annotating everything. So like we have a book, I'm like, and it's like a new word. I'm like, oh, it's an umbrella. And I'm like, it's not just enough for me to say umbrella, right? Like I know best practices give a visual representation, even if it's just the orthography or the letters. Um, And so I'll be like labeling things. I'll be moving it all around. When kids start talking to me, I start typing the sentences so they can see that visual feedback of what they're saying. Um, Because a lot of the kids that I work with have um, some challenges with formulating formulating sentences and um, have really, you know, a lot of need a lot of processing time to formulate their thoughts. Um, So they start, you know, saying a sentence, but then it drops off because they have forgotten and they don't have the working memory um, to hold on to that information Um, when it's visual we're able to see it. And so I have to say, that's one of the things where I'm like, if I go back to in person with this kid, like, how am I supposed to type everything on top of the book? Like, how am I supposed to do that? <laughs> yeah, there's some benefits to, to the distance learning and the remote learning, right? Yeah. I also, I'll share one more quick little hack that I've been using um, in virtual learning. And then we can talk about our interview today. Um, I, I, Kids, in my experience, kids get really good with really concrete common verbs. So it's like eating and walking and jumping and all those ones. It's like, okay, like I kind of get it. And like you show a video or a picture or a GIF, which you know I love using in my therapy, Chris. Um, You show these things and kids learn what that means. Um, I'm really interested in teaching my kids the more nuanced verbs. So like, for example, looking. Like if if you're reading a story with a a student um, and it doesn't have like a picture of an overt action, like oftentimes kids get stuck. Like they say like either standing or, you know, they'll say the noun. um, And so they're not, they, they oftentimes don't jump to like, oh, you know, the boy is looking at the box. Uh, that's not common, at least in my clinical experience. So what I've been doing in my virtual sessions to work on, for example, looking is I, um, I use the arrow on my annotate feature and I'll take the arrow from the eyes of the character and like put it on the object that they're looking at. And so we create the sentence. Um, So the first step is just getting kids to understand what looking is. Um, So the boy is looking. And then once they start like getting a hold of that, it's like, okay, what are they looking at? Let's expand that utterance. Um, And so that specific thing has been like groundbreaking. Again, if I like go see these kids in person again, I'm like, how am I supposed to draw arrows from what one person's looking at to the thing that they're looking at? (laughs) Um, But it's a really easy thing to start doing with your students um, to start like getting them to solidify what that, you know, that specific concept is. I love that. I love that so much. That's some of the benefits that you have with the technology that are a little bit harder to do in real life. I, I totally picture it like in real, in person learning, you doing me like a, a CSI um, ballistics, you know, here, you hold this string and hold it up to your face and your <laughs> string, where it's so much easier to do and more fun to do, you know, drawing and, and moving and putting, putting, like you said, eyeballs on things. 
Yeah, no, I've been loving the annotate features. I like, I feel like I should record more of my sessions so that I can show this because I feel like I'm getting real creative with the annotation. Um, and th that's one of the benefits I'm finding of the, the virtual learning. Well, I would love to see those. So uh, please do that. Put it on. I'll put it on my never ending to do list, Chris. <laughs> so, Chris, what's our interview about today? So one of our very first people that we interviewed uh, way back when the podcast first started was Kathy Howery, who is sort of a legend in the field of AAC. And she um, reached out to me a couple months ago and she said, hey, Chris, you know, she she and I have had many conversations and spent a lot of time together. I've been up to Canada to, to visit her and do presentations. And uh, she's from Canada. And she had this thought about modeling and aided language stimulation, and she wanted to talk it through a little bit more and discuss it. And I said, sure, let's do it. Like, let's let's brainstorm together. Uh, let's record it and let's see who else can benefit from it. And so so we did. And that's what you're about to hear. Um, there's one little thing to note about this particular interview is that some people may have heard it before. Again, we started off this uh, this particular uh, episode talking about Patreon um, because Kathy and I recorded back in April, I think the Patreon we we put this out as uh, for Patreon supporters to um, to consume if they wanted to earlier. So they kind of got early access to this particular content. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you may have heard this before, but it's also one of those things that I think uh, it's one of those conversations that you could hear over and over again and be like, oh, right. Oh, that point. Right. And what are they getting at here? So um, so I think it's one that that's worth repeating. And I think that what's funny, Chris, is I feel like I listen to our podcast episodes like more than once. <laughs> and I, it's funny because I mean, I'm part of the podcast. So like I do the podcast and then I listen back to it. And sometimes I'll even go back to it. I'm like, what was that one podcast? Um, because I think you're right. Like we need to hear things multiple times. And, um, you know, the more experiences that we gain clinically, and then we hear that information again, we just start thinking through that lens in a different way because of our experiences. Um, and so, yeah, some things we just need to hear a few times. So speaking of Patreon, Rachel, we do have a goal. So do you want to share what that goal is? Yes. So we're trying to get to 100 Patreon members. We love you guys and we want to have you join our Patreon. Um, we At one point, Chris, we made a goal for our iTunes uh, reviews and that went so well. And, you know, we're all about the smart goals here at Talking With Tech. So we want to get to 100 Patreon members. So if you haven't joined our Patreon and you're thinking about it and you're like on the fence, I'm not really sure, please join us. You can go to patreon.com backslash talking with tech. So without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Kathy Howery. People all over the world need augmentative and alternative communication. Despite the global need, some areas of the world don't have access to the same resources as others. Low-tech AAC can be a functional, cost-effective way to bring communication to more people universally. Low-tech tools are also used widely by high-tech AAC users to have a backup or alternative means to communicate. These low-tech tools often get torn, crushed, crumpled, soaked, or otherwise destroyed easily. They aren't often made with durability in mind. Enter PixiePal, a durable low-tech solution. Place printed symbols in transparent plastic containers called Pixie Snaps, which fit snugly into a portable carrying case. Each case allows for three double-sided pixie snaps, 
giving people six surfaces to interact with. The carrying case acts like a book, allowing a user to flip between multiple pages of symbols. This innovative design makes PixiePal the perfect, portable, customizable, and splash-proof low-tech solution. You can check it out for yourself by following at PixiePal on Facebook. But that's not all. PixiePal has partnered with some amazing organizations, such as the Nika Project, the Kaizora Center, OIC Cambodia, and many more to help bring functional and affordable AAC to anyone in the world. PixiePal has been a UNICEF Champions of Children supporter since 2019. The first generation of PixiePal is blue, in tribute of UNICEF's work worldwide. A PixiePal crowdfunding campaign has already launched. You can follow, comment, and share the initiative by going to PixiePal.com. That's P-I-C-S-E-E-P-A-L.com. That's Pic, like picture, C, like with your eyes, and Pal, like a friend. Send them a direct message and register your interest for one of the first PixiePals ever made. Each time a PixiePal is purchased, another PixiePal will be donated to one of these trusted partners. The goal is to donate 1 million PixiePals worldwide. To join us in being part of this global movement, go to facebook.com backslash PixiePal and hit the follow button to help bring AAC to everyone in the world who needs it. Kathy Howery, how are you? <laughs> I'm okay. <laughs> People used to do that for me a while ago. I'm I'm okay. I'm uh uh social no. Uh yeah, social distancing, I guess is the or um as everyone else is. So been mm -hmm. here in my house, although probably to to the point of our conversation today, I've been having lots of time with my just about two-year-old grandson. So he and I have been um, together off and on since all of this uh, COVID stuff started. So mm -hmm. we just keep hanging out together, which is quite lovely. But so it's let's, fine. Yeah, I let's will complain a little bit. Being a Canadian, it's freezing cold up here. We're ready <laughs> for spring, and it's snowing. So enough already. How are you? For people who don't know who you are, let's 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 back up. So who are you, where are you, and how often do you get to see that little kid? Okay, I'm Kathy Howery. I um, live in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is, I had a discussion with Stephen Von Tetchner once about which one of us live in the most northernest big city, and he swears his, his city in Norway is more northern than mine, but I'm still not convinced, so I'll have to have a geographical um, exploration. Um, I um, get to see, uh, you asked me about that little boy, I get to see my grandson two to three days a week these days because with everybody at home and um, certain things not happening, like my trip to Australia, um, uh, it's okay. I mean, there's all, uh, we make lemonade out of lemons, right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, so when I'm excited to chat with you today, that's a nice little diversion from my other Zoom meetings that I'm having. So it's wonderful. Yeah. So you reached out and because you have been spending, well, I mean, you've always spent a lot of time with your grandson, but even more now, right? That's the way it sounds. And you said he's two? Just about. 
It'll be two, about, oh, about two weeks. <laughs> and so you've been, you've been really looking at early language development. You know, I'm sure it's just, just fun, but then also your, your language, linguistic, you know, language development brain kicks in and you see and hear what's happening with him as his language is emerging, right? Would you call him a typically developing child or student? Oh, come on. He's advanced. No, of course, he's typically developing. Yes, he's very much so. But you know, Chris, um, I've been working in this field since 1982, if you can believe it. Uh, you know, um, uh, yeah, I won't even go there. But, you know, one and one loses one's perspective very quickly. Um, and it's also been a different thing for me being a grandmother. I have a different level of um, ease, right? I don't, I can send him back to his mom, dad, I can sleep, I don't have all of those other pressures when I'm with him, I can be with him. Mm -hmm. So it has been fun and, and, and interesting to watch his language develop. And it absolutely has been, you know, that the vocabulary spurt, he just is right on it. Um, it's astonishing to me to see the level of syntax he has and the question for like, it's just, he, he it's, it's astonishing. And yet I know it's perfectly typical. It's just so, so, um, it's just put in once again, clear, uh, perspective for me, what a challenge it is for our, um, kids with complex communication needs who have to use augmented ways to try and do what Logan can do now as a two-year-old with just such relative ease. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. it sounds like it came to him relatively easy. Like there wasn't a struggle. You had to teach him many words necessarily in a, in a structured format. It's just, it, they just came out. They did just come out. And, and, you know, I think his auntie taught him more and please, those were, those were taught. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as I've said to so many people throughout the years, you can't run in and go and manipulate the lungs and the l l larynx and the, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, Let me move your vocal folds back and forth. Yeah, yeah. Let me go in there. No, so, um, yeah, no, the, the, the words have just come. And what's astonishing is the, um, again, I say I say astonishing. I shouldn't be. I look at all, look at all the linguistic books I have. Sitting, I'm like, no, but it, but real life it just blows you away. And um, is his his absolute? It's like he's devouring it. You know, everything you say he repeats to you. And yeah, so yeah, so that was fun. And yeah, and I did reach out largely because you know there's lots. And maybe I'll start to introduce the topic a little bit. And Please. Um, uh, this whole notion of modeling language, aided language, whatever. Um, and it's, it's not, this isn't the first time that it's kind of bubbled up in my head um, uh, because I have written a few things for um, Practical AAC where I reviewed some of the literature on that and some of the, the studies and certainly aided language modeling whatever and I do have a, a distinction I, I distinguish between just talking with AAC where you're going to talk to um, um, 
reflecting back what you think the kid is telling you with and then i i call modeling when let me show you how you could say that when i'm actually but the, the, that just sort of it seems to be all meshed together right now yeah mm -hmm. um anyway so i've been thinking about that and i've been thinking about maybe most particularly a couple of conversations that i've had with families who say you know i know i'm supposed to model but oh it seems like it's almost getting in the way of my interaction with my child mm. right i'm so focused on this that i'm missing the interaction and then i've also been worried about maybe a false sense of of um expectation that we give when we say oh you know just model and doesn't matter if they're looking or doesn't matter just model and it will be good well and that takes me back to what i was initially chatting with you about which is that's not what happens with babies and their caregivers it's not that we just talk to them and don't expect anything back mm -hmm. if we just talk to them and didn't get some kind of not not words but something back we would start to be very concerned right mm -hmm. so babies and caregivers are doing a a dance an interactive dance you know i've been again reading about the interbrain and how we have this interbrain connection from a very young age so i think it's important to not give families especially the expectation that all you have to do is chat, tap away on their system and that will be sufficient. Uh -huh. I think it's necessary, but I don't know if it's sufficient. So yeah. That's where well, I'm coming. So this is very interesting. I remember the conversation you, and it was a very brief conversation because I was in the middle of um, sort of facilitating a session at ATIA and you were sitting next to Gail Van Tatenhove and you were looking over, it was the AAC agreement session at the most recent um, ATIA, uh, ATIA 2020. And mm -hmm. so um, the, the in that session, people had broken up and kind of were working independently and I came back to the, the back of the room where you were sitting next to Gail and, and, and Gail's like, I think she's, she said something that you are sort of reiterating here in a different way, which is that th this idea that, well, if you just model, it will come. And her, her, her words, I remember they, they're ringing in the back of my head. She, she said, and that's just not true. Like, <laughs> um, it need, it's more than that. And I think, I think back to um, maybe, maybe four or five years ago, uh, the, where there was this emergence of core, core vocabulary. Like every speech therapist, every teacher kind of knew core vocabulary. Now I know, okay, these are the words I'm supposed to be um, doing something with, you know, and focusing on. I don't, maybe I'm not sure what to do with them, but I know that these are the words, right? Um, yeah. And there was a large rush, and I think there still is in a lot of places. I see it all the time on Facebook kind of random words on a page. And if I point to these random words, then somehow magically, and I remember thinking, no, there's that, there's more to it than that. In fact, Beth Poss and I did a, did a pre-conference called More Than Core, um, that it's not just about core vocabulary, that's only one piece. And now I feel like, and this is, I think what you're sort of getting at is, is, um, now there's a rush to there's you, you modeling this word modeling is used and if we just model then that'll be it but that is also just one piece uh there has to be some level of uh um explicit instruction about around words uh and and i think what you also said and i just make sure i'm, I'm reiterating what you said we don't want to give people the the wrong impression especially families 
Does that all sound fair? Absolutely fair. And then the other piece is, which, which I'm, so I'm going to hit two things. One is this, this worry that I have, and I'm, I feel like I should be getting, um, uh, royalties. Um, yeah. Royalties for this. Um, I just love Erna Alant's book and, um, she's talking about meaning making and engagement. And when I started listening to families who were so worried about, modeling that they weren't seeing what their child was actually doing or um, I worry and this also comes a little bit from my own research that sometimes in AAC we have a screen between and we real the the real thing is making meaning and developing language and all of so so to the point that if I just how much do I model before I'm actually breaking the interaction mm -hmm. I guess is a, is a worry and how do I and and when in the studies like it's all over the place you know they yes they decided that it's a promising practice maybe an evidence-based practice probably an evidence-based practice but still they're all different and so there's not really what what's the to use a what's the dosage that we do and what's that kind of thing and then the other one that I thought was really interesting, which sort of hits on this engagement piece, is uh, uh, Connie Kasari and her group did um, a study where they actually were working with kids with autism that were late, very late talkers, like work. Um, and they used the Jasper, sort of they used an other evidence-based practice which is basically following kids lead letting that you know all of the stuff that that we i guess we know um and then within that kind of context they modeled with no expectation that the child would do anything back and in fact those kids ended up talking more they didn't end up using the devices they ended up talking more mouth talking mm -hmm. but you know so that's the other piece of it is that modeling also needs to be, it needs to be a real child-centric, child-focused interaction. And then the other piece is that we don't expect anything back. We don't, and I, and I, like, that, and that's really what kind of hit me when I was thinking about when I talked to Logan. I talk and talk to him, but I expect something back, not a word, but some kind of acknowledgement or he's, he's so, you know, something that tells me that, at least I noticed you, Grandma. Maybe I didn't understand what you're saying. So those are the pieces now that I'm twiddling around in my head and, and worried about that we, we need, how much do we do this? And can we, can we break down the interaction by doing it too much or in, in the wrong way? How much are we doing it as opposed to following the child? And then lastly, when we are doing it, surely we want to see some kind of response from the child, that, which doesn't mean, you know, which doesn't mean that they have to do it. Because again, I've had a great conversation with a, a family recently who the first time I saw her, and I think she'd be quite happy if I was telling this story, she would say, now tell me on your device, and, you know, and the kid would literally take the device and he'd yeah. want to throw it across the room. And I just say, don't, don't 
don't do, don't they, you know, this mm-hmm. is not a performance activity. This is a communication activity. This is an interaction activity. And that really changed things for them. But still, we want, want some kind of noticing or something. So I'm going to quit yapping now. What do you think? <laughs> okay. Well, there's a lot that you just said there. I think we need to break down in different stages. And one thing that kind of jumps to my mind first to, to kind of break that down is looking at uh, Logan, right? Yep. Right. So when Logan was first born, I mean, like just came out and grandma got to hold him for the first time. Do you feel like you had an expectation that he, when you're talking to him, going, oh my gosh, you're so cute. You're adorable. That he is actually going to respond to you in any sort of way. Meaning, is there a certain developmental point where we can start to expect uh, a response or where it's just not right, like right out of the womb or maybe I'm wrong. No, well, I think, I think, and again, this is based on very little research, but really right out of the womb, we know that mother's voices can, can still babies, can, can get some kind of reaction. So is that the words? Of course not. Right. But it is the voice, the tone, all of those kinds of things that do make a, do make a difference. Um, and and I didn't pay attention to the timing, but very soon, you know, three months, then they are responding differentially to different, again, not our words, mm-hmm. but our, our ways maybe that are encompassed from our words. So that's kind of a... Um, we talk because that's what we do as human animals. Yeah. <laughs> but... I think that there is some evidence to suggest that that oral um, interaction, even from the youngest stages, does have an an impact. Probably my daughter's more than mine, but anyway. So, but I know what you're getting at. I'm not expecting him to when I say "stop crying, baby," <laughs> stop Somebody's crying. Or, here's you know, here's your bottle, baby. Oh yay, my bottle. You know, so it's it's a nuanced thing, very much, right? But yeah. Well, then the next thing that I think of is the skill level of the communication partner, if if you will. So, um, uh. When you're using AAC, when you're a communication partner using AAC, some of the things I think we we tell people just generally is, well, if you model, you'll get better. And then maybe those interactions that you're talking about where the AAC might get in the way eventually, like, like I'm, I'm, like you said, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a parent that has a student or has a child with AAC. And now people in my world and my, my therapists are telling me I should model on it. And it might be getting in the way of just having a natural engaging uh, experience with my child, even if it's like 30 seconds, right? Mm-hmm. I'm feeling like I need to do this. But I wonder if that skill level changes, meaning, yes, it's in the way at first, because I don't know where any of the things are. So that's why when we say, when I say things, I don't know what any of the words are. I don't know. This is a whole, if people can't see if this turns out to be just audio, my hand is always my AAC, right? <laughs> um, right. So I, I'm pointing to this thing, right? And when I don't know where anything is, my skill level is low. But yeah. as I learn where those things are, my, I, I get better at all of this. And then I, I can be more natural in my, and it's not in the way anymore, not in the way as much. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I totally agree. I totally agree. And I think that is a real, 
I mean, uh, there are several things that I think in the world of AAC, we can't make a direct, um, it's not like talking. It's not, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, um, it is, right. You know, yeah, there's some uh, analogies, but it's not the exactly the same. It's not. Yeah. And, and so, um, and, and, and certainly I am a believer and I will purport this to anyone who is who I'm working with or to support a kid is that you have to be, you have to be, you should be a little bit ahead of that kid in that system. Mm-hmm. Right now, that doesn't mean that you need to be an expert unity talker or an expert um, uh, pod um, speaker, but you need to be a little bit ahead of that child for one thing, so that you're not so challenged. Although sometimes a challenge isn't a bad thing, show them that you have to think it through too. The other piece, so for sure, for sure, for sure, knowing the system allows that. Um, aided language, whatever we're going to call it, to be more fluid, more natural, probably. The other thing that I think comes with practice of a diet, of a, a teacher child dyad or parent child dyad is maybe you get to learn from interacting and being cognizant of that when it is that you're going to focusing on modeling or aided language, and when it is that you're just gonna follow the multimodal communicative behaviors that are so much part of every interaction, right? But that also, I think, to your point, is really, well, it takes practice, right? It, It doesn't, none of this talking with your fingers for anybody um, is a natural mode of, it's not, it's not, we, we like talking with our mouths because it's easy. And, uh, right. So no, that, I think that's really, really, really true. Um, and, and one of the things in Erna's book, she talks about videotaping yourself in an interaction and watching it. And I remember I used to do that a long time ago when we had the big honking things, you know, and I mostly did that to show people how, where they needed to get better or how good I was. I usually think that opposite. Look at how what you could do. Look, oh, look what I just did there. Oh no, that's terrible. But um, but I think that that too can help. Oh, look what's going on here. And now now again, as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, oh yeah, sure, you're gonna put another thing on parents. You could have the videotape and watch themselves too. Are you kidding? But but yeah, it it does come with practice and with self awareness and and maybe I guess maybe if anything, my point is be gentle on yourselves with all of this and and don't feel like that's don't feel like you absolutely have to have to do it all the time and also i guess the other thing that comes to my so karen erickson and and talk about car getting in the car making a comment asking an open-ended question and then waiting for a response Mm -hmm. or sort of some kind of a recast some kind of expectant pause to not demand that they give you something back, but create more than just a passing opportunity to give mm-hmm. you something back, which is, mm-hmm. I think, part of what's where I sort of got started with this with Logan. Well, he's giving me something back. I, if he wasn't giving me something back, I would be doing more to get something from him, right? Mm-hmm. So, but I, I think our field has been so 
um, locked into stimulus response and behavioristic approaches that we're having to swing probably more the opposite direction so that people aren't button show me you know i just said it now you say it too right so yeah yeah well, I know we have said that on the podcast for a while now that, and, and I know in my neck of the woods, the, a lot of the speech therapists said, but we have to take data and we have to keep data and therefore we want data on responses. And so some of the things that we're sort of saying is, well, what if we counted your wait time and then the wait time decreased? Isn't that data? You know, like, mm-hmm. so just give more wait time. And I totally picture little Logan sitting uh, in the cradle of your lap, right? You're, you, you sitting on the couch with your feet up on a coffee table, him cradled between your legs, your face looking down at him, and you're playing with him. Maybe you're shaking a little thing. You know what I mean? Um, some sort of like a, a little doll or something, you know, that has some sort of squeaky noise, whatever it might be, right? And, um, him living up or just even if there's not a toy you're just making faces and yeah. making googly sounds and then you stop and you wait and then if he does something um you might react to it if he, if he just goes ba ba you go ba ba did you are you hungry do you want right and you and then no. you, <gasps> you said grandma? Oh, grandma grandma did you say grandma yeah <laughs> Then you call everyone over. He just said grandma. Uh, it was his yeah. first word. Yeah. First word. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, but it's a very natural reaction and it's a very natural thing that is that is happening there. Um, and I, I guess the wait time at that p- point is uh, something you can start practicing right then, right? I mean, it happens very naturally. I'm waiting for your response. So that's part, part of it is the wait time. But then two is using whatever that student did, whatever that child did in your lap, you are reacting to it. And I think that's another piece that often gets missed when it comes to yep. AAC is that, oh, you, uh, I, th- I think you just randomly hit those buttons rather than reacting to whatever the student did and as, as being authentic, you know? Yep. We don't do that. We do that with babies. We, we didn't, yeah. re- you know, we just assigned meaning to what you just said. Let's assign meaning to what you as an AAC user said. Does that all sound right? Absolutely. I mean, that's exactly, exactly, exactly correct. Correct. I agree with you. (laughs) So therefore it must be correct. No, I, yes. And, and, you know, the other thing in the nuance of this is Logan's little body is typically developing. So his response time is what I am wired with my, through my interbrain connection to expect, where if Logan had CP and couldn't respond in that, you know, you know, there's, there's lots of things that, that this, the idea of a typically developing baby and some of the things that some of our kids have challenges don't match, but the bigger points are certainly there. He, I do something, he does something. It's this, this interactive engagement dance kind of thing that we do. And I think what you said that I really like is that it doesn't have to be that, it doesn't have to be that they responded on the system or, but what I, what I think we have to, what I worry about is that if I'm focused on the device and they're doing something I almost have to have eyes in the back of my head mm-hmm. because there's that, as I said, there's that screen between or even the, the, the board between. Now, that doesn't mean that that can't happen when we're just having a typical conversation either. It's just we have to be, I guess we have to be really extraordinarily good 
at observing multimodal forms of communication and responding to those and honoring those while we're doing, you know, we have to be. We have do to. it all. <laughs> but, but you'd said, like, forgive yourself, no, number one. Like, don't put, you can only do so much and it is. Exactly. And, and what you said about kind of the, the inner working of a, how, how did you phrase it when you're interbrain. like? Interbrain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when you're with a typically developing baby, it just sort of comes natural that wait time. But it's a skill for the communication partner or the caregiver to wait extra long. And oh, yeah. so that, is, that takes, because it's a skill that just doesn't come natural from your interbrain. Um, I'm learning new vocabulary and practicing it. Um, but because it doesn't come naturally, it's a skill that you have to practice and practice takes time and it takes effort. And, and would you agree with all of that? Yeah. And I would say not only is it a skill that takes practice, it's something that we have to almost unlearn from so one of the things that i think you know about my work i wrote part of my my research a paper that came out of it was um talking in text time or um i can't remember what that what i ended up actually calling paper i should know that um um but in the research that i have done it is uncomfortable for humans to have anything but like a half a second pause in but like we don't like silence we are we are wired to fill in those silences and there's another book that i have here somewhere which i just love um which which just talks about all the times we do just what i said um we fill we have fillers and we have those fillers for when we we can't talk we can't respond fast enough because so i would say not only do you have to learn to wait you have to jump over and inhibit that response that that talk that fill in the gap response that seems to be innately wired in us so mm-hmm. it's double trouble i would say <laughs> yeah so you got to stop the old what's inherent and then you have to learn this new skill so it's not just like learning basketball which is you don't have to stop learning anything you have to stop what you're naturally doing and do it differently which makes it a little extra difficult to do now you touched on a strategy there well hold on so you touched on a strategy there <laughs> Um, that I think could be really helpful for people, which is to do video modeling. And especially in this world that we're living, well, I should say video analysis of yourself is a better way, not video modeling. Um, And what I mean by that is that that could be really useful right now in the times that we're living in and is that we are, you know, sequestered in our homes in this pandemic. And so what is the, what does the interaction look like with a therapist? I think there's a lot of people right now that think, well, I'm going to try and replicate the exact same thing I was doing in my physical session with what I'm doing, you know, now I'm going to do that virtually. And I feel like that's a big flaw. Um, And you're not gonna be able to get the same and you're going to be disappointed every time. But one thing that could be really useful for people would be, okay, um, caregiver, parent, mom, dad, just record 30 seconds, a minute of you playing with your kid. Just set up the camera or do the selfie thing or have, have dad do it while you're playing or mom, you do it while dad's playing or get brother and sister in there to record while you're doing it or whatever, however you set it up. And then our therapy time is actually 
the, the, the kid can go do whatever he wants during that time. It's going to be a coaching session for you and me. And we're going to help you break that skill, take, take down the, the thing that you uh, give you more wait time, get over that, uh, get into your interbrain <laughs> um, and, and relearn that skill. Does that sound like a good strategy? I love it. And, and, um, and, and also help you to celebrate what you did do. Right. Because I think oftentimes parents and I bet right now, I don't know, I just I feel for parents right now. Holy mm. smokes. Um, I bet you're just feeling like, oh, I don't know. How, you know, I know there was I know. and I think giving both sides of the thing. Oh, here's here's one thing that you could tweak a little bit. And did you see those three things that you did that were so fantastic? Like, wouldn't that be so awesome for parents to have that kind of, and wouldn't that be one of the things that I've, you notice, somebody said this about me, I stop in mid sentence, but I eventually get back to what I'm going to say. So just so that you know, um, um, that right, you know, the parents right now, um, really could use that kind of that kind of support. And oh, and I see now. I was going to say, is that also for what I'm hearing from my great white North friends is that it's the first time in a long time that therapists have actually been able to talk with families and families have actually that there's some families, not all, some families who just feel like. They got this thing, the school bought this thing, and they're supposed to use this thing, and what am I supposed to do with it? I don't even know it works. But we could now start to do that kind of active support in little bits and pieces and little chunks. I, I think that would be fantastic. Plus, plus you're reminding me, there's a research study that I've always wanted to do. Hart and Risley did a, did a uh, study of moms and our caregivers and typically developing kids and they went in they videotaped chunks of their day over a long period of time and they started to see the development and i just thought wouldn't that be a fantastic research study to replicate so maybe if we get enough parents that do this maybe we'll have something but no but anyway so that's just that's just it you know, another side. But I think that would be really valuable. And I think it would also go a long way to helping us to understand what is it, what is this, this thing that we call modeling that we're all, you know, talking about? How does that really um, play out in normal everyday family experiences where you know mom's cooking dinner and there's two other kids like I think we could learn so much from from supporting families in that way so mm -hmm. yeah I'm I'm all in for that if anyone wants to do that with me I'd be delighted so. all right you heard it here so how would people contact you Kathy <laughs> find me on the internet <laughs> no um I'm I'm for sure I mean I'm around uh, I don't know if that's a real question or not, Chris. It's, it's totally real. <laughs> okay. Well, they can email me at khowery at ualberta.ca. I'd be delighted. Um, be delighted because I think we'd all, I think we need to, and I'm, and it's my new, new saying, and it's not mine, but we, this is a time full of lemons and, but there's lots of opportunity for some really tasty lemonade if we, if we're, we're clever and smart and 
I could not agree more. People have heard me say this before. I don't know if you've heard me say this, but since uh, since this has all happened, I think that if you, well, if you go back to the way things happen in schools and maybe even private practice, it's probably not, if you, you know, again, no research here, this is just me ballparking it. It's probably 90 to 95% direct instruction and five to 10% kind of coaching or conversations with parents. And this is an opportunity to flip that where now maybe it's 10% of direct. I really need to try something with a kid. Let me just get in there and, and, mm-hmm. and muck around uh, to see if this would work and, and do some sort of really explicit instruction and 90% now being coaching of families. And maybe we just never go back. Like when this mm-hmm. is over, right, this is just how it works now. This is how therapy is now. It's worth, it's, it's really to help the families, you know. I, wouldn't that be, wouldn't that be, that'd be just so wonderful. And the other piece about that, that, and this comes straight from uh, the, the pod training. The, so this is um, Gail Porter's stuff, not my brilliance, but that um, so much of what we give families is like a little activity, right? It's that language is a, is a therapy activity. Mm-hmm. And I don't do th- language therapy with Logan. We do stuff yeah. and we talk, right? Yeah. Right. We do life. And I think this could be an opportunity also to take it away from, you know, and so if your kids are, are learning um, blends or something and they have an articulation problem, okay, there I'm going to give you a little activity with stuff. But here to just help families to build in that communication and language, this could be a real opportunity to say, what do you need from us really? And what kind of opportunities, right? Not just us coming and saying, well, here's what you should do in your bedtime routine. And here's what you mm-hmm. should do. Right? I totally agree. It, it could be quite revolutionary. Very exciting. So I was, sorry, I, I can talk to you all day. So we have to be careful here. But um, so I was recently, recently in a conversation with um, some, of the, some of the people here in Northern Virginia, the other assistive technology people in different schools, just kind of comparing, what are you doing? what are you doing? And there's a uh, person in um, Arlington, which is real close to, to where I am. Uh, her name is Laura, Lauren Bonnet. And she suggested that, you know, maybe the model we look at here in this kind of distance learning is very similar to an early intervention model where, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and that's actually my background. I did early intervention when I was in grad school and, um, the idea there for people who are not familiar is just that you go into someone's home usually as a team, it's, you know, the the speech therapist, the physical therapist, the occupational therapist, and some sort of educator. And then you'd say exactly what you just said. All right. So what's going on? What, what are your needs? Are you the, the IFSP that you deliver and that you develop is all based on the the family's needs, you know, it's a family service plan. And, and I was like, yes, that is a great, that was just really resonating to me what she said, like, yes, that is a great analogy of how we could really move forward here in this time. I totally agree. And I too worked not first, but second in a, in a preschool program where year one, we went into the home and you know, our assessments were play-based assessments with whatever we happened to have around. And, um, and then, yeah. And then what, what do you need to, to learn? And I, I I was going to say something that I think is really, I want to bite my tongue off. I'd have said it, be a better parent. They don't need to be better parents, but they, but what do you need? How can we help you to parent in this way that you weren't expecting to be parenting in, which Mm -hmm. is 
really, you know, the, the poem from uh, I, I was going somewhere, but I got to Holland or something, right? It's, it's that kind of thing. No, I love that idea. And I think you're right. I think, and I've already talked to a couple of people here who say, you know, already families, one, one therapist I know who I adore, Katrin Sanig, shout out to you, Katrin, says that what she's doing now is having the parents call her after their kids go to bed and saying, how can, you know, what, what happened today and how can I help? And I just think, wow, first of all, so much for the, you know, eight to four or nine to five, like this is really when parents could be there to talk to you and bravo to you. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, my kids are in bed too. So, <laughs> right? so works. Um, and she says she's already gotten some really just brilliant um, successes and some real openings. Um, and I just think, yeah. So yeah, I think it could be a marvelous, that's not to say we throw the baby out with the bathwater and yeah. don't do some of the other stuff. Right. But it's just, it's just really a real potential powerful um, expansion of our, our way of, of supporting families and kids. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, all right, Kathy, thank you so much for initiating this conversation. I think it was really worthwhile. Well, it's always fun to talk to you, Chris. As you said, we could probably just spend the whole afternoon doing it, but I have to teach a class on the anything. No. <laughs> Not really, I'm teasing. All right, lovely to talk to you. I hope something that we've said has been useful to someone, it, and it's always useful for me to talk about these things, especially with someone with, with your insights. So, um, Thank you, my friend. Same, same. Take care. Take care and stay in touch. Bye-bye. Will do. Okay. Bye. Hi, I'm Mei-Ling Chan. And I'm Martin Sibley. And we are the hosts of the Exceptional Leaders Podcast, where we spotlight high-profile topics and amazing people who are changing the worldview on disability. Even though we are oceans apart, we are bringing people from all over the world together to discuss inclusion, advocacy, accessibility, and real-life journeys. So listen to the Exceptional Leaders Podcast to hear the voices and stories from amazing changemakers and be inspired to make a real difference in the world. You're listening to the Exceptional Podcast Network.